Welcome to Afterthoughts. This is a recommend or refute uh, where we talk about something we recently watched and uh, tell you whether we recommend it or refute it. Uh, I am your host tonight, Ryan King. And joining me as always, we have John Garcia. Hey, I am bringing more schlock. I'm just, okay, just throw it out there. I talked about Neil Breen last time. I'm talking about somebody else who's kind of like Neil Breen this time. I just want everybody to be prepared. Wonderful. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> Dixon's excited. excited. I, Dixon's, I can tell by your voice. He took the tiniest break after October, just a very short break of, of promising us he would watch good stuff, and then he immediately gave up on it. It was a, a detox. Week. Every October, John has like a come to Jesus moment at the end of the month where he's like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I need to watch good movies now. What am I, I'm going to start watching good movies. And you and me are like, fuck, no, you're not. And he lasts like <laughs> three days, and then he just dives right back in. I'm glad that you have such faith in me to hold up my film sobriety. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know that I have. That yeah, I don't know that I have room to talk when I scroll for like hours to try to find something and then watch something horrible instead. Uh, but Michael <laughs> Dixon is also joining us. He's the one that watches good movies. <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, I try. <laughs> well, all right. Well, actually, uh, what, what have you watched this week, Dixon? We'll jump to you. Yeah, so this past week I was visiting family in Dallas, and whenever I do that to pass the time, I bring up a carefully curated selection of Blu-rays that are movies that I think my mom would like. Um, And so I I brought up a few movies uh, for the Thanksgiving break, and one of the movies that we ended up deciding to watch was His Girl Friday. From the Columbia Studios in Hollywood comes an exciting new film triumph co-starring a thrilling new pair of screen lovers, Devil May Care, Cary Grant, and ravishing Rosalind Russell. Listen, they try to bribe me right away. Who are they? Who are they? Them! Why, that's absurd on the face of it. Water, he's talking like a child. Out of the mouths of babes. Hi, babe. It's Mr. Baldwin, Bruce's mother. What are you doing? Shut up. I won't shut up. You're doing something wrong. Mother, please. Take her out of here. Wait a minute, Water. You're doing all this to her, I know that. She wanted to get away from you and everything you stand for, but you were too smart. You caught her and changed her mind, didn't you? A companion hit to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. His Girl Friday. From 1940, directed by Howard Hawks, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Uh, my mom's a big Cary Grant fan. And so that is kind of an easy way to watch some good old classic movies that I haven't gotten around to like, oh, let's watch this Hitchcock movie or, or this Howard Hawks movie or this, you know, uh, old classic, uh, screwball comedy that I haven't gotten around to yet. And so this is one of those occasions and, uh, we had a really great time with it. Uh, it was just me and my mom that watched it. Everybody else my sister and her husband went to bed and just me and my mom, we started the movie at like 11 p.m. <laughs> and uh, it's like an hour, 40 minutes or so. And the thing just whizzes by and it, it is really um, it just it really holds your attention. It's just so fast paced, like one of the fastest paced movies that I've ever seen. Um, it was one of the first movies that had overlapping dialogue. And you have the characters kind of talking over each other and saying this really, these really snappy lines at each other. Um, you know, I mean, we, we talk about sometimes when there's movies from this era, you know, and we, you know, the modern day equivalent of this is like uh, fucking Aaron Sorkin or something that's just horrible, you know, and they just, he's like clearly trying <laughs> to copy this kind of style, but he can't do it. Um, and His Girl Friday is is really good. Um, it's a lot of fun. It, it's based on a play from, I think, 1929 called The Front Page that was then adapted into a 1931 movie of the same name, uh, which I haven't seen. It actually came with the Criterion Blu-ray. There's like two Blu-rays in it, one for His Girl Friday and one for The Front Page, which is not obvious when you purchase it. And then you open it up and like, oh, there's, there's actually two movies in here. That's kind of cool. Um, so I haven't seen the, the Front Page from 1931. It's a pre-code movie that I'm interested to to check out now that I've seen His Girl Friday. But um, Howard Hawks had, had seen that and thought it would be interesting to adapt it by changing one of the characters to a woman. So um, the you know main story of, of the front page, as far as, as I know, because it's the main story of His Girl Friday, is that um, you know, it's, it's about a newspaper uh, called The uh, Morning Post. And the editor of the newspaper finds out that his like star reporter is going to quit. And he goes through efforts to try to keep his star reporter from doing that and to stay on, on the paper and, and to keep writing. He kind of remind 
that reporter of of why they you know love journalism and, and why they want to stick around. In His Girl Friday, it's adapted to where his star reporter is his ex-wife, and uh, they change the name slightly. Um, it's I forget, it's like Hildebrand to Hildegard or something. It's a very odd name, and so she goes by Hildy. She's Cary Grant's ex-wife, and she is. Uh, she walks into the his office one morning and says, "Hey, um, I'm getting remarried, and I am leaving the newspaper business and going to just live a quiet suburban life in Albany, New York, with my new husband and mother-in-law to live out my days in quiet suburban shittiness." And she seems very excited about that and seems to be, you know, kind of happy with with where she is. Um, she brings in her fiance to introduce him to Cary Grant. He's an insurance salesman and just like the saddest sack that you've ever seen. And Cary Grant like clearly pounces on this and, and you know, tries to take advantage of that fact and kind of remind her why she likes writing and thus maybe why she likes him. Um, and so there's basically the whole movie is Cary Grant's character going through this massive manipulation effort in order to kind of keep the future husband away and to entice Hildy to get back into the newspaper business. And so the way he goes about that is, you know, they're about to go off to Albany. Um, they could use some money for their, their honeymoon and they're starting their life together. And Cary Grant's like, well, what if I buy a really expensive insurance policy off you? What kind of commission would you get for that? And in return for that, Hildy, what if you write a story for me? There's like the biggest story in the world going on right now where, you know, this guy is on death row. He's about to be executed. He's trying to get a, um, a pardon from the governor. And we think he's innocent. Um, you know, we, we think he is actually, um, you know, he definitely killed the guy, but we think he was temporarily insane and needs to be, uh, you know, pardoned and, you know, to get help and, um, you know, the state's about to execute him and we need you to interview this guy today before he is hanged tomorrow to get his side of the story and to prove to everybody that he's crazy and shouldn't be be killed for this. And so the the, the movie kind of goes on from there and, and there continues to be reasons for Cary Grant to kind of keep her in the fold and writing the story and talking to this person rather than going away with her fiance to get married. And it's just a, like a wild madcap comedy of people shouting over each other and kind of increasingly absurd uh, things keep occurring. There's a, a lot of fun scenes in this press room, like right across the street from City Hall with all these journalists from different papers, uh, you know, kind of all very cynical and, and talking to each other about how they're going to handle um, the case and everything. Um, it, it's Cary Grant at the height of his powers, 1940. He's like really on his shit in, in this movie. And Rosalind Russell is incredible. And I don't think I had seen her in anything before, but she was really good in this. I'm interested to check out some more of her work from the time. But um, it's like, I, I looked at the line, I saw, you know, for the most part, it's a very well-regarded film. There's a critic who I respect who wrote a you know, kind of mid-review on Letterboxd saying, you know, I, it's hard for me to get behind this in, you know, modern era where the movie's about like, uh, you know, a man waiting for a woman to realize she's dumb and to like come back to him, um, which I kind of understand. Like there are some, you know, kind of sexist undertones or, or overtones probably to to the film. But um, overall, I thought it was hilarious and really charming and just just really, really great dialogue and, and really well-developed characters. And I had a really good time with it. Yeah, I remember liking this quite a lot. I, I don't think I've seen it in a long time, but it's definitely one I saw a few times um, when I was younger. There's like a, you know, TCM kind of regular, I think, that would pop yeah. up that I would watch. The dialogue is definitely very interesting for the time, much very different. And it, if I remember correctly, Hawks had to like turn microphones on and off because it wasn't the kind of thing you could do with like multi-track recording like you can now. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just the, like, I don't know, the balls back in the day to be like, people actually talk over each other. Let me figure out if I can actually do that in a movie. Um, is that, that, that's really interesting to think back on. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating to see it executed and, you know, like you, you'll see that happen in like, you know, we've talked about the big sleep before and like there are, mm -hmm. are movies that came shortly after that in the early forties that were doing similar things, having really fast paced dialogue and people talking over each other. but 
it's it's amazing to me that this is like the first big movie that ever did that and it's executed perfectly like it it could not have been done better and uh just being able to pull that off it 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 feels kind of like you know a, a little miracle that they were able to to make it work to the degree that it did Kate Cary Grant is I don't know I I do really like him <laughs> he just is one of those yeah. sort of like likable you know personalities uh, i think of this and bringing a baby is another one that i watched um kind of talking about my mom and movies. i watched that maybe like six months ago uh and i like that one too like Catherine hepburn yep. is, is great i that one is kind of absurd it's and really over the top yes. to a degree that like <laughs> i didn't enjoy like i liked his girl friday a lot more than i liked bringing up baby and that's howard hawks also but um yeah i mean carrie grant of this era is is just pretty great and it's sometimes like his Hitchcock stuff is really good, but he's older at that point, yeah. and it feels a little unbelievable. It's like um, not this bad, but like you know when you're watching a Roger Moore Bond movie, and you're like, I don't <laughs> think I buy this. You're too old and fat to be doing any of this shit. <laughs> he just dodges um, under a plane and hangs off Mount Rushmore. He doesn't really do any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like to catch a thief, you know, yeah. he's this like uh, you know like the best <laughs> cat burglar in the world. You're like, no, yeah. you're too fucking old for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like notorious he's great in that and that's more yeah that's closer to this era that's 46 um you know but yeah Cary grant is always very charming like my one criticism of him would be that he's just basically Cary grant he's the in same every yeah, movie. In every movie. yeah and you know like it, that's kind of fine like he's a movie star he is that persona that's what people expect it's like the you know the tom cruise problem you know it's like he's just gonna kind of be that person but he's very good at that and you know he's uh, I think Cary Grant made an effort to work with a lot of really great directors from his time. And those directors were able to take that persona and to really capitalize on that. Like he did Arsenic and Old Lace with Capra. You know, he's done, he's worked with, it's great. <laughs> Arsenic and Old Lace is, is incredible. Yeah. He's, he's done a lot of work, uh, a lot of great work with really great directors to maximize his, his potential and in, in his career. So I always appreciate that about, movie stars like that and like Cruz has done that to some degree right he worked with Scorsese once and he worked with Kubrick once but like most of his movies are like whatever friend he can have make his movie in the way where Tom Cruise can just direct it like I don't think Christopher McQuarrie is like a real person he's just like that's just Tom Cruise directing those movies here you right? go with your not a real person again <laughs> Colin Trevorrow not a real person definitely not a real person <laughs> Well, and I, um, but yeah, like every generation has those movie stars and sometimes they're in, you know, incredible and like Cary Grant, like, oh, he's just always in good stuff because he seeks out good material and he puts in the work and he's good in it, even if he's always kind of doing the same thing. Um, and sometimes you're, you know, you have shitty movie stars like uh, Chris Pratt, who just picked, uh, you know, objectively bad directors or maybe directors who don't exist. And, uh, you know, do bad work in all their movies. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he's not Chris Pratt. Sometimes he's Garfield. Um, uh, sometimes he's, he's Mario. Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> the, and there, there is something, though, that being the studio system at the time. Like, the studio owned right. the actors. They owned the, the movie theaters. Stars. Yeah, and they wanted you to come because that was who was in the movie. It's a very interesting approach when you think about like the way that Hollywood's laid out where like film is always sold on like the, the magic of the story, but there's like a period, maybe that's a contemporary selling. Cause there's a period of time where it really was like the name was bigger than the title could be. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, like, Oh yeah. That kind of shit. I mean, um, and you look at old movie trailers and like people didn't give a shit about spoilers. Like oh, in, the, yeah. in the old days, it was like the trailer was like, Here's everything that happens in the movie. You should come see it because it's going to be good. And Cary Grant's in it, right? And yeah. like, I I kind of like that. Like, I also don't really give a shit about spoilers. I feel like if the movie's good, it's going to be good. And it doesn't really matter if I know where it's going. It should still hold up and be good. And um, yeah, it's like audiences in 1940 were just like, yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, it's, it's Cary Grant. It looks fun. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you think it's it's like the circus, right? You're like, I've never seen an elephant. Mm -hmm. An elephant's coming to town. Like, you know what it is. You just yeah. want, you just mm -hmm. go to it. That that's the thing you do. And yeah, that's like trying to draw in an audience. Who like, this is the spectacle. It's got Cary Grant in it. Yeah, I also like the. It really romanticizes journalism in kind of a fun way. And this is an era 
1940. This was when journalism was a working class profession. And it's not like a bunch of chodes that went to Harvard that like <laughs> are trying to like ingratiate themselves with the people they're reporting on. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and and have, you know, they're too close to the rich people and the Congress people that they're reporting on where they can never write anything bad about them. And like in in, you know, really pre all the president's men, it, like journalism was a very working class thing where you have these guys who like probably don't have high school diplomas that just like know their town really well and have a lot of connections and put in the the shoe leather work and go figure shit out and write columns in a way that they're trained to write them. But, you know, it's a much better kind of relationship between and more adversarial between journalism and the the government. And it's like, you know, it it's like the under lying kind of main story of the movie but it's the side plot because the story is really just Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell and like how eventually they're gonna get together and fuck her fiance who just needs to go like cry in a corner and be a loser Um, (laughs) but better it's the opposite of a Hallmark Hallmark movie the like sad sack fiance would win the day right like I don't know I don't know I haven't seen a lot of Hallmark movies (laughs) I think you're thinking of Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire I feel like the asshole I feel like the asshole (laughs) newspaper editor would not win the day in a Hallmark movie Yeah, yeah but um you know, the kind of the, the side plot of the movie is is like the the sheriff and the mayor are corrupt and they're like preventing the facts from from getting out and and from uh you know like the governor wants to you know potentially pardon this guy, but the sheriff and the mayor are kind of keeping that under wraps and like you know, there is actually some like you know, journalistic effort to call out the bullshit of local authorities that is is kind of a cool undertone of the movie. It's almost a background thing but um you know i kind of like that old school romanticism of working class journalism where it was just like you know it it's 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 the poor working class people who are solving the crimes and getting people the news and uh not the not the rich ivy league grads who are trying to just like make it up the social ladder in in society you know that brings up like in my mind one thing that i've seen in a few movies it's usually like a trope that's used to be played for laughs in like a precocious way but like when there's a neighborhood of kids sandlot style kind of gang <laughs> and one of them is like i'm the the reporter for like the second grade and he has like the fucking newsy hat yeah, and like a pencil yeah. in the air a piece of paper I've, is, yeah is I, I fucking yeah. love that trope but i wish that it would be explored and having that newsy kid like meet journalism now <laughs> and are you have to, proposing like, a hawk jones sequel yeah John? yeah very uh, much yeah. so <laughs> where there is like an active government that works against him um but yeah that's like the I one thing you're gonna I'm say like, the news industry was working against him it's all about the clicks well, both yeah <laughs> honestly it would be really funny yeah yeah, yeah. it's just one of those things because like those precocious kid tr- archetypes have just skipped that phase of disillusionment. And now they just run podcasts. It's like the fucking ghostbusters reboot movie that nobody yeah. wanted to see. Uh, except for the schmaltzy people, I guess. Um, they're making some, another somebody's one. Somebody's seeing it. Yeah, they, they keep are. Making them. Yeah. Oh my just, God. <sighs> yeah. Somebody is seeing it. But anyways, yeah, the kid in there, he was just like, I'm about following the truth. I have a podcast now. And I was like, that's not, that's not journalism. Podcast <laughs> is entertainment. <laughs> maybe we're not doing the podcast right i don't know yeah. weirdly it does feel like that the podcasts are solving these long dead crimes or these documentaries and the news is on some other yeah, fucking yeah. all right so that's yeah. a recommend for his girl friday and uh <laughs> yes it is and a refute for modern journalism <laughs> modern major media that's one small recommend yeah. for his girl friday fuck <laughs> one large all media fuck sources you. from the 1980s through today <laughs> get your journalism from Substack, everybody <laughs> i don't care which ones just pick one you know? it's fine they're all they're all probably good you know like, pick one it'll make it interesting <laughs> uh, all right john what do you have for us today i kind of wish that i had gone first so his girl friday could have been a good a good like beacon of light in the the night that is well. I mean, you might have a recommend, it, Ryan. I don't yeah. Know. It, how but are we making like our shit sandwiches? Yeah. Is it the bread on the outside or is the bread in the middle? We kinda... <laughs> I think we double stack the bread and <laughs> put something on top. <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I I said I was bringing schlock uh, last time. 
I did not bring only Schlock last time, right? I thought I brought uh, Kanesatake, uh, yeah. that documentary. Was you that did. the week before? Yeah, okay. you like randomly at the last minute decided to do two movies. That was that was before yeah. that was before I talked about Neil Breen, though. That was the episode prior when I oh. also talked about the Mouth of Madness. So I'm making up for my John Carpenter and that documentary recommendation by doing two refutes in a row. There we go, everybody. So I did Neil Breen last week. I talked about the. Uh, visual sensory collage that is his film. I'll talk about something that's a little more grounded. Um, it's a 2004 movie directed by uh, Garrett Stewart Sayer named Honorable Men. Drug investigator Ryan Smith faces the toughest decision of his life when he discovers that the woman he loves is involved with the same drug dealers he's arrested. Now he must make a choice between love and honor. What the hell is Honorable Men exactly? Um, it's like a Navy movie or something. It's not. Um, so Honorable Men is, it has to be a sardonic a few, title. A few Honorable Men? A few. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, you can't handle the truth. Um, yeah. Like it, it, it can't be, it has to be a sardonic title. Um, so just a little background. Why did I watch Schlock other than being who I am? Uh, my buddy in uh, Burbank who I always watch terrible movies with James. He hit me up for a movie night. He said, Hey, I want to watch something. Do you have anything new uh, in your trash bin? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I found this. Always. Uh, I found honorable men. It's like a partially lost film. Uh, there's no DVDs of it anymore. Um, there's a copy of it circulating online somewhere. And it's, oh, this it's is not a vinegar syndrome, not a vinegar syndrome. No, it's okay. uh, it's, it's like a shot on video, self-produced written, directed, starring trifecta mm. movie. That, you know, um, it's good when that happens. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, hey, we're going to watch this movie and then we'll watch Jim Cotta after because that's a good bounce back just in case. Why aren't you yeah, fucking talking about, talking about Jim Cotta? <laughs> <laughs> I've watched Jim Cotta twice, folks. I've also watched a bunch of other movies like The Doll You've Squad. You've watched it at least three times. Yeah, yeah. I've watched it twice in the past <laughs> week, I should say. And I've also watched like The Doll Squad, not worth mentioning, but it did inspire Charlie's Angels. I watched Lucy, that, that movie where fucking Scarlett Johansson gets her brain to 100% capacity. Mm -hmm. so fucking dumb but kind of fun that sure. was like a genre for a few years yeah like there's like limitless, limitless and yeah. like <laughs> i saw limitless it was fucking terrible i never saw lucy but yeah lucy was also was right. just like pretty bad but visually it was cool it had a lot of cool effects to it um yeah. and then i saw thanksgiving the eli roth film that uh dixon and i joked about and then i watched honorable man and that's the one that sticks out the most to me so that kind of says in this gauntlet of like other movies that i've watched beyond jim kata because I just want the mystique of Jim Cotta to linger anytime I mention it for people to be like, I don't, I keeps mentioning it and I've never seen it. John, um, why do you have a pommel horse here in the <laughs> recording studio? Well, I got into this new fitness beat up routine, on okay? no. uh, We're now sponsored by the Olympics. I just forgot to tell you guys. By the Olympics? Yes, by the Olympics only. Okay. <laughs> it was a guy I met at a corner and he said, I have a pommel horse and a sponsorship from the Olympics and I just trusted him. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> that, well, you can't get those five rings without getting a shit suit out of you. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you one thing is that uh, we don't have a sponsorship with any honorable men. Uh, and this movie, <laughs> which I keep trying to get to, but I, you can tell I don't want to talk about it because I go in any other direction, is uh, about Garrett Sayer. Um, that's, that's really all it is. The director, the writer, the star himself. Honorable Man is about a... Uh, a detective or he's just on the synopsis. It just says a drug investigator, <laughs> which that doesn't have to be a cop. Mm, I guess that could that. be like anybody. It's just a fucking narc. He's just like drug curious. He's yeah. Like, he's, oh, he's, what, what, I want to learn more about this. I these drugs. investigate drugs, please. Yeah. How do you do the cocaine? Is it through the eye or the nose? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the butt. It's the butt. <laughs> it's the butt. Yeah. We've all seen Wolf of Wall Street. We know how it's administered. <laughs> um, so yeah, Garrett Sayer, he's this drug investigator. It, it starts off with a cold open of a, a SWAT raid on a uh, like a house that exclusively has people of color in it. Um, and all of the cops happen to be white. I just, I assume it's a coincidence. There's no mm. way that this would be a reflection of any kind of contemporary politics. Um, and uh, they, they like do the raid and the raid goes successfully. I guess they get whoever they're arresting um, that the movie doesn't really do a good job of establishing who's good guys and bad guys and what's mm. happening. It sounds very Reagan. Um, and then uh, one of the officers gets shot and he's in the process of dying at the beginning of it. And then they just go into like two weeks earlier. And oh God, I hate that they shit. They <laughs> have like wondering how some I got flashback here. shit. 
where like, yeah, it's exactly that. There's just no over overdub of it. And uh, it turns out that that guy who got shot is the cop we're going to be following throughout the entirety of the film he is uh, his our hero, Ryan. Um, not you, Ryan, but another Ryan. It's a very common name. <laughs> Ryan Smith, especially <laughs> very common. Yeah. name. Um, and apparently are we following, you know, like you would think if it opens with a drug bust and there's a SWAT team that maybe we're following, you know, like a heist story of like, you know, we're following El Chapo. We've been tracking him for like fucking weeks and we finally got him where we want him. And you're going to go through those. No, that's not what this is. Uh, Ryan is, um, and this isn't visually, but, uh, just in his, in fucking Garrett Sayers mind, Ryan is the hottest fucking cop to ever walk this earth. He's so handsome. I would love to be. I don't know. You're older and younger guys I can control. I can't control you. You have too much power over me. Ryan, you're a very fine man. You just, women want to fuck him. Mostly women who are college age and or look like high schoolers for some reason. Um, really want to wear his badge, metaphorically speaking. Is this a dirty Harry knockoff? It kind of feels like it's trying to be, but like the dude who thought he could play Dirty Harry is like uh Lawrence Gopnik. This is not a frivolous request. This is a serious I'm a serious I'm uh I've tried to be a serious man, you know? I rescue people. That's what I do. I do this job because I want to help people. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I don't know, like, it just, yeah, there's just kind of that aspect of like, he just seems too anxiety ridden and nervous to be a cool cop. And so anytime he tries to strike a cool pose, it looks like he's hiding something like a scandal that might burst out any moment. Oh my God. He'll like lean on a window and try to talk to somebody. And it just looks like he's hiding something, even though you can see that there's nothing there. It's just a window. Um, is Michael Stuhlbarg in this? He's not. No, uh. <laughs> I wish. Honestly, that would have been a fun interpretation of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Dirty Harry starring Michael Stuhlbarg. Over I haven't done anything. <laughs> I just, I'm just an honorable man. Uh, I've tried to be an honorable man. Um, yeah. And like, that's, that's kind of mostly what it's about is like Ryan as a cop. Sorry, Ryan. You know, every time uh, you say Ryan, it, there's like a part just, of the brain that just <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Garrett, Garrett Sayer. Fuck it. Garrett Sayer, the man who plays Ryan. The director. The director and writer and star. Yes. Uh, as we all know. Um, Garrett Sayer in any scene, it, the entire plot is he starts a love triangle. Ryan told me that it doesn't matter to him that he's seen with Casey all over the place. He initiates a love triangle with two women who are like 20 years younger than him. Which is like double vertigo. Um, and, <laughs> and he just kind of goes from there into like this weird, he's like having dinner with their dads respectively. And is like, their dads are like, I, you seem like a really good guy because you're a cop and I trust you. And I think that you're the best person that could ever date my daughter. Like there's just like, wait, dialogue is this like at that. the same time? Uh, it happens a little bit of it overlaps. Yes. There's like a Scott Pilgrim aspect as well to this. Where, like, like, but does he meet their dads at the same time? Are no, there five of them at dinner? <laughs> I wish that they would do that. Either that or like a sitcom where they're all like, he's like, Oh shit. Going gotta, back, it's like a Mrs. Doubtfire scenario. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, it's, it's that kind of shit. I, I wish that that would have happened, but no, it doesn't. Uh, it's a sequential order. And in the middle of that, he finds out that, the only reason that love triangle disintegrates is because Garrett Sayer finds out that one of the girls he's been dating, Mandy, um, who he Mandy. Sings, oh shit. Yeah. He, he also, he tries to serenade her in one scene and it's really fucking gross where he's just like, how did you get the name Mandy? I was named after the song Mandy. You know, you came and you gave without taking, but I sent you away. Oh yeah. I know you're Mandy and you came and you gave without taking does he sing that song <laughs> yeah he does he like sing talks oh it or God. some shit to her um <laughs> and so yeah so like the only reason he breaks up with mandy is because he finds out that she's doing drugs with some of the dealers he's trying to bust and he just goes you're you're not a good girl mandy i need to go date a good girl which is still weird to say that to somebody like what the fuck yeah i need to date multiple good girls and mandy also at one point is like you're too much man for me to handle uh to him and it just none of it lands because wow. the dude the dude looks your you dick know, is just too big <laughs> yeah it can't fit on the screen of this 480p <laughs> shot on <a> video movie <laughs> 
<laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, I would say, uh, like we watched that movie and my buddy was thoroughly entertained for all of it because it was just, it's again, if you've heard enough of my recommendations of these kinds of movies or refutations, I should say of these kinds of movies, I'm a sucker for the psychology behind it and like wanting to figure out what a person is working through. So like Garrett Sayer, his brother also directed a movie that's called the Satan killer that I'm pretty sure is about cops killing a Satanist who's been murdering people. Oh, I thought it was so about I, God killing Satan. It could be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, but, um, I'm just assuming that they come from a long lineage of like cop families and they want to make like mm. propaganda films about how cool the cops are, but everything Ryan does in this, sorry, Ryan, uh, <laughs> everything that Garrett does in this <laughs> <laughs> is uh is is like for it, it's it proves nothing about him being an honorable man and yet the entire title of the film and everybody around him is like you're so fucking cool and honorable and stoic that you would date a woman 20 years younger than you and you would plant drugs on people of color and that you you would try Dear to God. to use all of your resources possible to cripple other people such an honorable man and it ends on a ballad that's dedicated to him in which a woman sings I'm no hero in a way that's supposed to be like you know that they're a hero but they're they're like being humble mm -hmm. about it but he had a whole fucking ballad dedicated to himself commissioned for this movie so yeah like at, at the end of it I was like we what did we learn here gentlemen <laughs> like uh, I guess that we shouldn't fucking watch as many of these movies with dudes trying to look tough on the cover, but, um, he was fascinating at times, more upsetting than champagne and bullets and some of the other shit I've brought. Oh my. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say, um, this is like, this is, I think that we've talked about like, you know, you really are a dumpster diver. Like I am, <laughs> and you're like reaching the bottom of things. This is probably like pretty good to get to, you know, that's like recommending that you lick the sludge at the base of the, the dumpster. It's got some good flavor, I'm sure. Um, and it's nothing mm, okay. underneath it, but yeah, like, so I, I would refute this for everybody except for the really diehard schlock divers. I don't know. Like, wait, did you like it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but I have enough civil responsibility and awareness to know that only my buddy and I on like a, you know, a few rounds of whiskey and some mm -hmm. other movies we definitely already stand on the shoulders of could enjoy it. Uh, Ryan, I don't or know. Or hang from like the it. feet of maybe. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's that's the thing. <laughs> Functionally a movie though. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's there are scenes that there's one scene in the scene where mandy's like you're too much man for me i can't date you she says that to him and he's like fine i won't date you either the immediate next scene is them on a date right okay but it okay. just doesn't understand how to connect any of this so there's not there's not a sensical plot to <laughs> there's not movie. a sensical plot and when he dies i was happy and they tried to make it a big thing. They also started with based on a true story at the beginning of oh it. Goodness. They're like, this is based on a true story from the nineties. And then they proceed to shoot everything in 2004. And you can tell. So like, it was just like, Oh, oh man, I thought when you were telling me this, this was shot in like 1986. No, no, this is wow. an earlier. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's out of print, but, uh, there are links. If you just look around on Google, it shows up. If you really want to go find it. There are links. There are links out there, everybody. That's that's how dangerous you know it is. There aren't like official links. I can't give you an Amazon Prime thing, but if you want to seek it out, you will find it. So, how did you hear about this? Uh, it's, the, media, the, it's through Red Letter yeah. Media mostly. Yeah, I've collected a backlog through those guys, and I've just been like ah, morbidly curious about these things. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and when your buddy taps you for uh, he wants to see bad movies in a night, and he said he's got all night. I mean. I don't want to show him, you know, the room for the 50th time or whatever. Got to show him new stuff like Jim Cotta. What is your <laughs> approach to remote movie nights? Like how, how do you pull that off in a way that works where you can like converse with the person, but hear the movie and, and how do you, how do you set that up? I've done that before during COVID and it like kind of worked, kind of didn't. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's like obviously sacrifices you may have to make for me. I mean, I use any amount of the, the watch party software or like the watch party uh, mm -hmm. integrations to stuff like Netflix and Apple TV and yeah. um, Plex has it as well. I will, 
FaceTime my buddy, or I will, you can discord or, uh, I think any video call, the main thing that you're always going to be up against is like hearing the movie in two places. Yeah. And, and like having your audio like reverberate with the movie audio. Yeah. 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 And so I've gotten to this point where like the, I just, I have an Apple TV. My buddy has an Apple TV. We basically just pair a Bluetooth headphones to them and we can like mirror our screens and stuff. So we can have kind of a unified audio cycle to it. And so you get that you're listening to the movie on headphones and you're hearing him on the same. Yeah. On the same channel. And I just adjust the movie volume or his volume, however I want to. And and that's how I watch. So we get to do our remote shows. Um, Nice. Cause I did that during COVID a few times, but I always wanted to use my like soundbar and subwoofer and stuff yeah. and so i was like oh well this kind of like doesn't work but yeah i feel like you have to you have to do it on headphones so that you're you can actually talk to each other and it doesn't like just morph in with reverb from from the movie sound there is a um there there's a set of peripherals and accessories you can buy now that uh, uh basically act as like a body subwoofer um you can oh. like wear them and they'll translate the bass to, oh like, that seems weird and then they have an output for your audio so that you can just listen to the, I've like done Blade Runner 2049 with it. That's pretty fucking sick. Mm. Um, but it's great. It's like really big in the deaf community because you oh, can just feel the, yeah. the whole sound of the movie and whatever. But uh, that's an alternative to play that. Or I figured out also how to like play my sound system while I play the fucking thing. Like at least the bass itself <laughs> while I use my oh, computer. just the bass. Yeah. Yeah. So I can still nice. get some of the body shock of like, oh, I can feel that. But yeah, I, t- I totally get that sentiment too. So um, anyways, Honorable Men does not really deserve that kind of mixing of bass and uh, <laughs> Bluetooth headphones. Um, the quality was pretty poor for the audio. It's obviously shot on video, uh, done on like a 480p resolution at best. And with microphones, it sound like they're just on board the camera at all times. Um, mm. I was not impressed by any of it choreography even the SWAT choreography. I was more impressed by the fact that I'm fairly certain they used real police assets for this movie like that somebody was able to pull enough strings to be like hey cops can I just use all the stuff that we cops have used so like when the SWAT team showed up I'm I'm pretty sure all that shit was just like can I like borrow this and a team of cops to film this and they were like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, gross misappropriation of resources. Hey, the, the U S military will give you whatever you want. As long as you don't make them the bad guys in your movie. There so. you go. So maybe it was the same thing. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, what did we learn that cops aren't honorable men? That was what this movie, uh, uh directly did, even if it didn't mean to. <laughs> so <laughs> fuck it. Um, yeah. What did your buddy think of Jim Cotta? Dude, he loved Jim Cotta. He <laughs> he honestly he got really into a part of Jim Cotta where he was like, they're really conjuring some sick atmosphere. The horror sequence <laughs> mm-hmm. in the Mad Town. Yeah. He was like, dude, this is great. I mm-hmm. love this. He was like, don't get me wrong, the rest of the movie is fucking great, but like this is just tops. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, sick. Um, yeah, at one point he just became dead silent and was like watching <laughs> intently. <laughs> so yeah. Whereas honorable men, we just talked over quite a lot of the movie. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> Not a lot of substance to it. Unless you like watching an awkward man try to have phone sex with college girls. It's just not no, awesome. sign me up. Let's go. One nine hundred honorable men. <laughs> All right. So that's Anyways. a it's a a recommend for Jim Cotta. If you're wanting to get into some light trash, that's where you can start. And a refute. If you've already gotten through all the trash and you somehow want more, for <laughs> you experts out there, then Honorable Men is a, is a recommend. But for everyone else with any sanity, it's a refute. Director Garrett Sayer will be available for discussions after most showings and will be scouting for talent for his next movie. For further details, go to honoramen.com. Yeah, for the people who participate in Schlocktober, then Honorable Men's going to be nothing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's probably gonna, pretty yeah, easy. Get you right through it. I'm just glad that the Jim Cotta DVD I gave you has gone to such good use, John. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Uh, I took us into bad, trashy insanity. Take us into something else. Yes, I will take us to something else. Again, I will cheat and not talk about a movie per se. Uh, I we I think you mentioned it. These yeah. rules. We, rules are out the window. I, I feel like you mentioned it on a previous episode, but we we talked high level about Captain Laserhawk's colon a blood dragon remix. You know what the worst part of living in a fascist dystopian hellscape is? <laughs> the shit they put on TV. Lord Laserhawk, your brain and body belong to Eden Tech Military. 
I'd rather be a corpse than work for Eden again. The terrorists, Dolph Laserhawk and Alex Taylor, are still on the run. To kill someone that wants to die, where's the fun in that? I made a promise that I would protect you no matter what. You want to play? Let's play. This world won't change <laughs> till it's burned to the ground. Uh, a what now? <laughs> Just as an it's offhand a blood comment, dragon in his colon. Yes. I think you have to see a doctor about yeah, that. Yeah, you gotta look. Oh, yeah, like, a blood sounds... dragon's a big. That's a problem. Incredibly alarming. <laughs> <laughs> is that like you like? That's <laughs> got like. <laughs> is that is that what a blood, a blood dragon, dragon is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how to? Did we cut that? Or? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. My apologies. The, I'm gonna have to censor it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be. <laughs> is that a? <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Cap I mean, I Captain Laser. The other day, and it just flew away. It didn't even. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, great. Anyways, okay. All right. Was Blood Dragon. Blood Dragon. Right? If you subscribe to our fake Patreon, you can hear that unbleeped. <laughs> uh, yes, fully lost track. Captain Laserhawk. <laughs> yes, um, recenter yourself. I saw it in passing on Netflix, I think, when it came out. And John, you mentioned that it had something to do with Ubisoft uh, characters and that it looked like the kind of thing that I should look at. And so the other night when I was looking for something to watch, I scrolled past all the great movies and things that we keep talking about I should watch. Um, and then saw Captain Laserhawk and was like, well, I'll give it an episode and just see what it is. And then I just sat down and watched the whole fucking thing uh, because I did enjoy it that much. Nice. It is, I, I would say, like, without spoiling it, any of it, if someone's like, maybe I want to watch it or whatever, it is a lot like Cyberpunk Edge Runners. If you like Cyberpunk Edge Runners, you will fucking enjoy Captain Laserhawk. It is like first and foremost a cyberpunk dystopian shoot fest chaos. Uh, everything is corrupt. Uh, kind of an anime, mostly just, you know, weird animation. Um, yeah. And so for that angle, I'm like, I totally recommend it even just as that. I don't think you need to know anything about Ubisoft. It doesn't really care if you do or don't. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you maybe get some like laughs when they introduce a character and you're like, oh, I know what that is. Uh, honestly, only a few of them I knew because I don't play f shooters. So I don't know anything about fucking Rainbow Six and Far Cry and any of that shit. Um, <laughs> but I did play Beyond Good and Evil and I really did fucking laugh when they had the characters from that because I don't. It's it's crazy to me that Ubisoft has never made a sequel to that game, but will shoehorn those characters into a bizarre show for some reason. Uh, and yes, Rayman is is front and center and crazy and corks, co coke sniffing and everything that you would want, I guess, out of Rayman. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't really try to explain or care how any of these things are related, including I was surprised to find not just Ubisoft references, but fucking Cody Rhodes, the wrestler. <laughs> And they make Kenny Omega. So it's just like pop culture swirling around yes, it, are, basically. Are in it as themselves. Like Cody Rhodes voices Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega voices Kenny Omega. And they're just in there again for a laugh. Uh, the same way some of these other Ubisoft characters are. It's. What is the plot of this? The, the, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember exactly what kicks it off, but Captain Laserhawk <laughs> and uh, his boyfriend slash uh buddy i guess alex taylor uh you know are just doing what you do for money in a cyberpunk world you break in and you steal some shit and sell it to somebody else um but the job goes to shit and alex seemingly b betrays captain laserhawk captain laserhawk i guess was in the military previously and they jacked him up with a bunch of technology and they decided he didn't want to do their shit anymore and he's left and so he's like pretty much unkillable and has a Mega Man laser arm, arm cannon, arm cannon okay. kind of thing. And then in the 
pretty much the, like the plot after this, he gets erased, ar- arrested and put into a supermax prison along with Cody Rhodes and <laughs> some characters from some other Ubisoft games for some reason. And they all get suicide squatted into having to do jobs for the government, uh, which also go to shit and people die because it's a cyberpunk type of thing. Um, and slowly we kind of peel back the layers of this like fucked up government and all these things are happening. It's centered around this city of Eden. Rayman is the late night host mouthpiece for the government. Uh, and you mostly see him on these sort of like television, you know, cut in episodes of like, here's the news or whatever, where he's telling it the opposite of what it really is. Um, Mm -hmm. and Eden is, you know, complete bullshit. Like they're claiming all these wonderful things, but they're not. And slowly, I guess, Captain Laserhawk and crew and eventually Rayman uh, unveil all of what's really going on. It has some like twists and turns, but it honestly is like mostly about the like style of it. The animation changes and changes to like video game referencing animation every so often. So even in the first episode, they're like breaking in to this facility and it suddenly cuts to like traditional NES top down like Metal Gear, not Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear, where they're like sneaking um, through the facility and they're just like two little like 2D pixelated guys. Two little blips. Yeah, having to like walk <laughs> around and stay out of the vision of these uh, guards as they're walking through. And they're talking, they're having dialogue. Sometimes the dialogue is like RPG dialogue at the bottom where it's like a text box. Uh, later on in an episode, they end up in like a VR world and the actual actors, the voice actors, are acting as themselves, so it's live action, but then they put a filter over it so it looks like fucking early PS1, like early, really bad PS1. Or, or like or like Command and Conquer, like a Command and Conquer FMV. Oh, okay, like okay. it looks like Crash that. Bandicoot. Yes, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it switches between those like various mediums referencing game styles every so often, so that's a pretty cool... Uh, the intro is absolutely like a Mega Man intro, like the music and the like sc- scrolling up to it. Um, and uh, it's only like six episodes. So I, I got through it like in its entirety really fast. And it and it ended and I didn't even realize I was necessarily at the end because it leaves on a cliffhanger. And I absolutely just would have kept watching like I was just enjoying it that much uh, because it's just like pure chaos. It's a lot like cyberpunk edge runners like you just are in it. You're in the world. Everything keeps going to shit. More stuff unveils and you're just sort of like in it and in for the run of it. Um, And so, yeah, like I really recommend it. (laughs) I kind of recommend it to anybody. Like it's it's not very many episodes. It's kind of just very different from everything else that's going on the way they and and they're like, I don't think the budget's really that high. It's not as high as Castlevania or Cyberpunk, um, but they do with it really well. Like they make it work by throwing in these other styles to kind of just be like, "Eh, it's loose. It's fast and loose. Yeah, I know I brought it up because I was reading some article about it um, a few weeks back where basically it's one of those incredulous things like that, like Rayman for people who don't know out there, Rayman was like, he's one of the flagship characters for Ubisoft for video games. Like there's a lot of Rayman games. If you go look it up on Google, you'll be like, oh, I've probably seen a poster of that somewhere. Um, And in this show, he goes from being a character that's typically been associated with like wholesome family ish friendly fun to he's like a coke snorting fascist mouthpiece for the government and like the articles that i read were all like basically people going to ubisoft and being like did you know that they were going to do this did you have like contractual something that you couldn't like stop (laughs) this from happening and ubisoft was like no we like 100 believed in the artist and the creative vision behind it and we said just fucking do whatever you want to with our characters and i was like that's fucking admirable because like Mickey mouse is not going to be doing any kind of cocaine anytime soon um, (laughs) because of copyright and all of that. Uh, There's that one South park episode that actually pretty ham and that uh, Mickey mouse Mouse Mouse. is out of public (laughs) domain. So you can, Oh, he is now. Did he finally get out? Yes. You should be clear. Yeah. Wait, I thought Disney re-upped the copyright. I think it's finally, finally passed or about to finally, finally pass. 40 years. Yeah. Shit, uh, we're about to see our blood and honey phase of uh, oh. <laughs> the fucking Mickey Mouse. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like one of those things where I don't hear too often about other companies 
wanting to sacrifice potentially the brand image that they have and being like, yeah, whatever. We trusted this like French artist who he was like an executive producer in Castlevania and a lot of other things. And they were like, he told us he wanted to do this with the characters. And we said, fucking do it. I was like that. That's fucking worth like noting. I want to go see this now. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like with the change that it does visually, we just got hot off the heels of like Scott Pilgrim, the movie, and also Ryan watching Scott Pilgrim, the show, which I've also been watching, which has like that same sort of, they mix the vibes of different kind of like, uh, video games or certain cultural aspects into it, into the visual aspect of it. I want to see this. This sounds wild. Yeah, it, it is a wild You have trip. to keep that Netflix subscription going, John. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is a wild trip. Since it's only like six episodes, you'll chew through it really fast. All right, that that should uh, that should wrap us up and bring us to a close. We have a recommend for His Girl Friday. We have a refute for Honorable Men. And a recommend for Captain Laserhack colon a Blood Dragon remix. <laughs> Laserhack? Laserhack. Yeah. Uh, I have been your host tonight, Ryan King. And joining me as always, John Garcia, uh, one of the dishonorable men on this podcast, I guess. <laughs> if you keep bringing us stuff like that. <laughs> I'll do better, I promise. Uh, we don't believe yeah. you. You're full of shit, John. Next week on Afterthoughts. <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna happen. And also, Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.